Well, turning your Bibles to Revelation chapter 14, we're continuing our study of the book of Revelation. It's God's final revelation. We're seeing the end time events, the final days, the tribulation time period, that seven years. Uh, and the book really beginning in chapter 6 all the way through 19 is basically the tribulation time period. There's some things before that and some things after that. What we've been doing, if you've been thinking about it, in Revelation 13, which was the chapter before this one, we saw the rise of the Antichrist. He's called the beast that rises out of the sea and the false prophet, the beast that rises out of the earth, and we saw the horror of their, horror of their rule on this earth. And so it's really terrible because when you look at that chapter and you see the mark of the beast and the people that he kills and all these kind of things, it's just a terrible time. As we move into chapter 14, it's a great chapter in the sense that we see the triumph of Jesus Christ as he brings judgment and rewards. And we're going to see that. And, and when we look at this, no matter how bad things are, God is still in control. And we're going to see a lot of things this morning as we look at this passage. We're only going to look at the first 13 verses, chapter 14, verses 1 through 13. We'll put some things together and we'll show you how it fits. Let me just remind you of where we are. This is the end time flow, and this is how we look at it. Jesus Christ came to the earth. This is his first coming. He died on the cross, paid for sin, rose again, sent it back into heaven. We're in the church age. It's been going almost 2,000 years or more than 2,000 years, and we, we don't know, but Jesus could come at any second. There's no signs. There's nothing for him to do for him to come back. He comes and takes us out. We call the rapture. Call that the rapture. We're taking off the face of the earth. After that, there'll be most likely a 10 king federation forming this earth because it's going to be a disaster. It's going to be a 10 king federation, then three kings, and then one comes to power. We call him the beast. He's called the Antichrist. He comes to power and he makes a peace pact with the nation of Israel that lasts for seven years. We have to understand the tribulation time period is for the nation of Israel. And so we'll see more later on as we go through it. So there's a seven-year tribulation. Halfway through, the Antichrist puts his idol up. At the end of the seven years, Jesus comes back. We're coming back with him, and he sets up a kingdom and rules for a thousand years. And, uh, and then at the end of that, there's what they call a great white throne judgment. We'll see that later. That's the big flow. Now, we've been looking <clears throat> at the seven years and the details, and the seven years uh, tribulation is divided into two parts, three and a half and three and a half. In the first three and a half years, it starts with peace, then goes to war, then goes to famine, and then goes uh, to judgment and death and everything else. And in the first three and a half years, the 144,000 Jewish men, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes, are set apart. They believe in Jesus Christ, and they proclaim to the Jewish people that Jesus is the Messiah. That's going to happen in the first three and a half years. There's going to be other things that happen there, from go from peace to war to famine to death. And then halfway through, this is where we really sort of are right now, halfway through the Antichrist puts his idol up in the temple and claims to be God. That's called the abomination desolation. What happens is Satan is removed from heaven that we saw last time or a time before that even that the Michael, the archangel, and Satan, the devil, had a battle and de the devil was cast out. He comes down. He possesses the uh, man we call the Antichrist. Antichrist claims to be God, puts his idol up in the temple, and the whole rest of the last three and a half years called the Great Tribulation has death and famine and everything else you could name. We've been seeing some of that as we're going through it. We saw that in chapter 6 of the book of Revelation, we saw the entire overview of the entire Re of the book of Revelation. Let me give you this chart. That was the seven sealed judgments. That was the entire overview of the tribulation. So if you just said, I want to get a quick view of the tribulation, read chapter 6 or read uh, Matthew chapter 24. They put that thing together. Then we saw already the seven trumpet judgments, the best 
we could tell, these judgments happen at the end, basically at the last three and a half years. They all end at the same time. When the seven seals ends, the seven trumpet ends, and the seven bowl ends, Jesus comes back, so they all do that. There's seven bowl judgments coming. We haven't got to them yet. They'll be in the last half also of the three and a half years. So that's the flow of where we are. And in our study right now, We've seen the Antichrist puts his idol up in the temple, and he claims to be God. So there's a lot of things right there. Uh, he he ca- comes to power. <clears throat> he has a false prophet, causes people to worship him. There's miracles. There's all kinds of things. And if you're going to buy or sell during the tribulation, they almost take the number of the beast, 666. Now, here's the great truth. Unbelievers will take the mark. Believers will not take the mark. Believers are going to run for their lives. Many of them will be killed. Jewish people are going to be running for their lives. Many of them will be killed. Uh, but uh, unbelievers will take the mark of the beast. We're going to see what happens to them in this chapter. And, but the believers do not take the mark of the beast. This morning, there, there's a part in here that talks about an eternal gospel. And if you read the verse without reading very much of the verse, if you just read where it says, I saw an angel <clears throat> proclaiming, the eternal gospel, you might think, oh, we're talking about salvation. No, we're not. Let me show you something. There is the good news gospel, which is that Jesus died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again, and whoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. That's the good news gospel. That's the gospel uh, that gives eternal life, salvation. There's also the gospel of the kingdom, where John the Baptist and Jesus proclaimed it. They said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was not a salvation message. That was a message telling the nation of Israel that the king was on the earth, and that the nation of Israel need to turn to God. We're going to find this morning an eternal gospel. What is this? We're going to see it deals with judgment and rewards, and we'll see it as we go through. There's a lot there in our passage, and we'll go through it really quickly, but we'll see how it fits together. Here's the outline of the first 13 verses that we're going to look at this morning. We see the Lamb and the 144,000, the song in heaven, the set-apart ones. We see the announcement of the judgment. It's the eternal gospel. We see the consequences, and we see rewards. So we'll see how that ties together. We have seen in chapter 12 an overview of the nation, the Messiah, Satan and Michael, the battle, being kicked out, all those things. <clears throat> we saw in chapter 13 the Antichrist and the false prophet called the beast out of the sea and the beast out of the earth. And then as we move into chapter 14, we're going to see Jesus Christ and his judgment and victory. And we're going to see the 144,000, of course, as well. Just remember this when we put this up. This is about where we are. Antichrist has now put his idol up in the temple and claimed to be God. We're in the last part of, the, of, the, of this great tribulation. And so what happens? As you remember, the book is not necessarily in chronological order. Sometimes it'll have an event, and then over here it'll have an event that might have been before this event, but he puts it together for us that way, and we'll see how it fits. Here's the important thing. <clears throat> when you look at this, and you see all the destruction and the death and the judgments, we could say this is it's out of control. But the truth is this, no matter how bad things get or seems, God is in control. He is working all things according to the counsel of his will. He even uses demons and, uh, and, and, and unbelievers to carry out his will. As you remember, when we saw the seven trumpet judgments, there were these, these things that looked like locusts coming out of the ground, that, and they were demons, and they, they stung people. And then we saw these 200 million creatures coming across the Euphrates River, and those were demons, and they're used by God. God is in control. This is not out of control. God is in control. So let's look at chapter 14. Look at verse 1. Here's what John sees. It says, <clears throat> then I looked, and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him 
144,000 having his name and the name of his father written on their foreheads. And well, John looks, and he's, as he goes through the book, he sees all these different things. He is, first of all, he said, I saw, John has seen this beast coming up out of the sea. That's the Antichrist. Then John has seen a beast coming up out of the earth. That's the false prophet. Now he sees the lamb, the lamb who was slain to pay for the sins of mankind. He is seeing Jesus Christ, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If you remember back all the way back in Revelation chapter 5 verse 9, it says they sang a new song saying, worthy are you, talking about Jesus, to take the book and to break its seals. Why? For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So this is Jesus. He sees Jesus. He's the lamb. And he says, I saw the lamb standing on Mount Zion. And this is the lamb of God, John 1, who takes away the sin of the world. This is the lamb without spot and blemish, which is in First Peter. And so we see Jesus, but he's standing on Mount Zion. Do you know where Mount Zion is? Mount Zion is where Jerusalem is called the same, same mountain as Mount Moriah. And there the city of Jerusalem is built on Mount Zion. And if you remember, when Jesus came the first time, he came to Jerusalem, he came to die. When he comes the second time, he's coming to rule and reign in righteousness and justice. One of the things you ought to just mark, just mark somewhere in your Bible, Revelation 19.11. Just have it there, and anytime you get discouraged, just flip over there, and you see Jesus coming on a white horse, coming to judge and take over the world. And then you'll say, oh, I feel better, because that's it. he's coming. And that's what's going to happen. So here he comes. He's coming to Jerusalem, uh, and he's standing on the Mount, uh, Mount Zion, right there, Mount Moriah. And with him, if you notice, who's with him? A hundred and 44,000 having his name and the name of his father written on their foreheads. Do you remember who these are? These 144,000 are the ones that go back to Revelation chapter 7. God picked or God raised up 144,000 Jewish men, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes, and they get the privilege of proclaiming to the nation of Israel that Jesus is the Messiah, that they have believed in Christ, Jesus Christ, and they're proclaiming to the nation of Israel. Now, you remember, the first time Jesus came, the nation of Israel as a whole rejected him. When Jesus is coming the second time, these, these Jewish people are telling people, and most of the nation of Israel believes in Jesus as the Messiah and the Savior. They turn to him, and they call upon the name of the Lord, and Jesus Christ comes. And so this is who they are, and so he sees the 144,000. Now, there's something a little bit strange here. Notice this. It says, having his name and the name of his father written on their foreheads. Well, the name of the Lamb, that's Jesus. What's the name of the Father? Is it Adonai? Is it Yahweh? Is it YHWH? Well, you see these 144,000, and they have two names written there. One is probably Jesus, Yeshua. And the other one may be YHWH, Yahweh. We don't know. But it says, had the name of Jesus and the name of the Father written on their foreheads. You know why? Because they're sealed. They're set apart. They're sealed by God. They're sealed for protection. Notice this right here. This goes back to Revelation chapter 7. Look at it says. This is talking about them. Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. That's the 144,000. Now, I want you to understand, they're sealed by God. They, they're not going to get killed. 
the Antichrist could come after them all he wants to, and he's not going to be able to kill them. He's not going to be able to get them. Let's talk about sealing for just a second. What does it mean? It has the idea of protection and security and ownership. Back in that day and time, if you had a letter, you would roll it up, and maybe a letter or a scroll, and you'd take wax, and you'd put on it, and you'd seal it, and then you'd put your little mark on it, and it was sealed. And if somebody broke that seal, you'd say, hey, wait a minute, somebody's you know, broken the seal. But a seal means to be protected and kept and, and security and all of that. So let's think about these guys. First of all, their protection. They, 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 they can't die. I mean, when I say they can't die, the Antichrist is not going to be able to kill them. They're going to be able to go all the way through the tribulation proclaiming the great message. There is security because they have a relationship with God. They are God's messengers. And there's an ownership there because they, have, they belong to the Son and the Father because they have his name written across his forehead. Now, you may say, wow, that would be neat to be sealed. Well, you're sealed. You realize that? That we have believed in Jesus Christ. We're sealed, Ephesians 4.30. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. Ephesians 1.13 says we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. I want you to know what that means. That means we're protected. God will never leave us or forsake us. When you walk out these doors, you're never alone. You're never by yourself because Jesus Christ is always with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. You are secure. You have eternal life. You shall never perish. I brought this out in the first service, and I'm going to bring it out here. Listen, a lot of people get confused about eternal life. The moment you believe in Jesus Christ, God gives you right then eternal life, and you are saved and saved forever. You have life forever with Jesus Christ. You should never doubt your salvation. If you have believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life, that moment you believed you have eternal life, you should never doubt it. You should always know from that moment on, you're saved and saved forever. You're secure. And then finally, we've been bought with a price. We belong to him. And so in the same way that these these uh, 144,000 are sort of sealed in that same way, we are too. Look what happens in verse 2. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the sound of many waters, and like the sound of loud thunder. And the voice which I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. Now, he's standing there, and he hears the sound, and it's, it's a song. It's real loud. It's like almost like thunder loud. But it's like harpists. It's like people are playing harps. And so it's a song. And they hear this. He hears this sound in this song. And then look at verse 3. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn the song except who? Except the 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. So there's this song that they're singing in chapter, chapter 14, verse 3. And... Uh, they're singing it before, and listen to this, before the throne, you remember in heaven, there is a throne. And what we saw back in Revelation chapters 4 and 5, on the throne is the Father, by the throne is the Son, Jesus Christ, around the throne are the seven spirits of the Holy Spirit, that's there. There are 24 elders that we, we think they represent uh, Israel in the church. We're not sure. There are four living creatures, which are these uh, seraphim, that these uh, uh, angels that are around. And then behind all this are just millions and millions and millions of angels. And so he hears a song coming from the throne. Notice in verse 3, they sang a new song before the throne. Who was there? The four living creatures, that's those angels. The elders, that's the 24. And he goes on and says, and no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been purchased. So obviously, this song is for them. 
and they're going to sing the song. And think of what they've been doing. Since the beginning of the tribulation, they have been going to the Jewish people, to their people, and telling them about Christ. And telling them that Jesus is the Messiah and the Savior. And if they will believe in him, they will have eternal life. Well, let, let's get a description of these. Uh, they, these have, they have been um, purchased by paying a price. Let's get a description of the 144,000. Look what he says in the next verse, verse 4. These are the ones who have not been defiled with women, for they have kept themselves chaste. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been purchased from among men as firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. So here's what he says about these. He says, they've not been defiled with women. That means they're celibate. We'll talk about that in a second. They followed the lamb wherever he goes and their first fruit. So let's talk about who are these guys? First of all, they're virgins, okay? No women. And, and the bottom line is they, they don't have time to be with women. They don't time, have time to be married and have a family. Their job is, is short. It's a short time. They've got to go out and tell the rest of the Jewish people how they can have eternal life. It says they're chaste, which means they're not married, but they're also not having sexual relations with anyone. And, and it's just like Paul wrote and just like even Jesus talked about, but Paul wrote and said, listen, when you're married, uh, you, you, you have to devote yourself to your family and your wife or your husband. But if you're not married, you can devote yourself to the Lord. And so these are people that basically are saying, we're not going to be married. We're not going to have any time. We've got to go out and do our thing. It says that nothing illicit. And then their ministry was to serve God totally. Look at this right here. The second thing is they followed the lamb. Wherever, listen to this. They followed the lamb wherever he goes. You know, that's what we're supposed to do, aren't we? Aren't we supposed to follow the lamb? He's the one who died for us and paid for our sins. Listen, there's two things. There's salvation, which costs you absolutely what? What does salvation cost you? Nothing. Costs you absolutely nothing. It's a gift. But discipleship costs you your life. And being a disciple, the Greek word is mathetes, which means to learn, a learner. You follow Christ. It's going to cost you to follow Christ, to go wherever he goes. In other words, to live by the word of God and your life count for him. These men did this. We should as well. And then the, the third thing it says for them, that they, they were the first to be saved in the tribulation. That's who they are. He says they are the first fruits. They've been purchased among the people. So they are. They are the first fruits. Wow. So here they are. He says, these are the ones who have not defiled themselves with women. They've kept themselves chaste. They follow the lamb, and they're the first believers. There's one more thing that he says about them. Look at verse 5. No lie was found in their mouth. They are blameless. Their message is true. See, they're going... And they're telling people that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. They're going and telling people that you can have eternal life as a gift simply by faith in Jesus Christ. They're telling these Jewish people that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah and the Savior. Rejected the first time, they need to believe in him this time. And that's what they're doing. And they have an amazing ministry. And they're, they're going to go all the way through the tribulation because he, they're sealed. They can't have anything happen to them. They're not going to die. Well, with that, now we're going to see some judgments. Look at verse 6. We're going to meet an angel, and he comes to bring a message. Look at verse 6. And I saw another angel flying in midheaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every nation and tribe and tongue 
and people. Then when we hear the word gospel, this is an eternal gospel, some people immediately, without reading the rest of the verse, say, oh, the eternal gospel is the message of Jesus Christ, and it's eternal, and it goes on forever. No, this is not what the eternal gospel is. The gospel that we talk about for salvation is found in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. It's the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we're saved by faith. That, but this is an eternal gospel. It is a good news message dealing with the judgment of God. Now, you might ask a question, how could judgment be good news? Do you remember back in chapter 4 and 5 of Revelation when under the throne he saw all these people who had been killed for their faith in the tribulation, and they are saying to God, how long before you judge these people who killed us? This has happened. It's about to happen. It's called the eternal gospel. It's both a judgment and a reward, and we'll see it, and we'll see how it works in a minute. So he says, uh, I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, and every people. That's who they are. And then here's what he says. Look at verse 7. And he said with a loud voice, fear God, give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Notice the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and the springs. There's three things he actually says. Fear God, give him the glory, and worship God. Why? Because he's coming to judge. Well, let's talk about what does fearing God mean? A lot of people say, are we supposed to be afraid of God? Like, be scared he's going to kill us all the time? No, that's not. The awe and the fear of God means we recognize who God is. God is all-powerful being that created us, and he's beyond what we could ask or imagine. And when we come boldly to the throne of grace, we can only come because of Jesus, and we need to recognize who he is, that he's everything. And so all means, when we talk about the awe and fear of God, it doesn't mean like he's going to crush us every time we turn around. It means we recognize who he is. And then give him glory for, for who he is and what, all that he's done, and then worship him for what he's done. And those, those three things, fear God, work, give him glory, and worship him. And, and that's what we see, and that's what he tells us to do, because he's the creator of everything. And then we're going to meet another angel. Look at verse 8. And another angel, a second one followed, saying, fallen Fallen is Babylon, the great. She who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. What is going on? This other angel comes and talks about Babylon. Now, what in the world is Babylon? This is the fall of Babylon. You may not realize this. Now, Jerusalem is the key of the world. And the temple is going to be there during the tribulation and the 144,000 and all of that stuff. But the capital of the world and the capital where the Antichrist rules is from Babylon. That's in Iraq. And he's going to rule from there. It's called Babylon. And it is a wicked city because it's ruled by Satan and the Antichrist or the false prophet and all of those things. And so he says in this passage, an angel says... Babylon is fallen, and that means the city is fallen, and the city was the center of rule, it was a religious worship, it was an economic system, and the, about the fall of the city, and the city is going to be destroyed, it will be destroyed, and in Revelation chapter 16, 17, and 18, we will see the details of the fall of the city of Babylon, how it fits together. So what have we seen? First angel talks about judgment. The second angel talks about the fall of Babylon. There's a third angel coming, and look what he says in verse 9. Then another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast 
and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Wow, that's, that's really powerful. Because notice what it says, that if you took the mark of the beast, if you worship the beast in his image and you get the mark of the beast, you're going to be judged by God. You remember I told you... Uh, Last week or the week before last, we talked about taking the mark of the beast. And you've got to have either the, his name or a number, 666, there or there, if you're going to buy or sell anything. I said that the unbelievers will take the mark of the beast. They will worship the beast. Believers will not. Now, I tell you, and I mentioned this last week, and just so you can remember this, that the, Satan's always a counterfeiter. And he says, you've got to have something here and something here. If you understand Judaism... If you understand the, the Old Testament, for a Jewish person, many of them would take these little boxes, and they'd put a little box, and they'd put Scripture down in the box, and they would tie it there, or they'd put a little box right here with the Scripture in it, and they'd tie it there, and they walked around with it here or here. And all the Antichrist is doing is copying what God's already done. He always does that. We saw last week that it looked like, and we're not sure, that this Antichrist guy dies and comes back from the dead. Well, Jesus died and came back from the dead, so he's going to have somebody die and come back. I mean, he always is a counterfeiter, and he wants to copy everything. And so there's judgment here. Notice he will drink the wine of the wrath of God. By the way, in the Bible, wrath is always like in a cup, and it's like you drink it all the way. It's like I'm drinking the dregs, and I'm drinking it all, and that's how he says it. He says they're going to take the wine of the wrath of God, full strength in the cup, and they will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. It's going to be judgment to the unbelievers. It's coming. It's coming at the end. That's part of the eternal and eternal gospel. Okay? There's more. Look at verse 11. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day and night. Those who worship the beast and his image, and who receive the mark of his name. Listen, the end for unbelief, the end for those who reject Jesus Christ, all of those who follow the Antichrist, who follow the beast, who worship the devil, who do all that, their end is they will be separated from God, and the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever. That's why it's so important that we share our faith, that we tell people that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and if they'll believe in him, they'll have eternal life. Because anybody who believes in him now, when Jesus comes and takes us out of here, they won't be going to the tribulation, they won't be going to any of this. But anyone who has not believed in Christ, and we're gone, they'll go into this time period that we've been studying. It's just a terrible terrible time. Notice verse 11, it says, and the smoke of their torment goes up day and night. That's the lake of fire. And uh, it's just um, a, a, a terrible time. Now, here's, here's the one thing verse 12 says. Here's the perseverance of the saints to keep the commandments of God and their faith in Christ. Look, believers, there's not going to be judgment for the believers. Let me, let me remind you of this to, to put this together. When we talk about lake of fire, we talk about this. This is, whoops, let me get it up here again. This is us now, then the rapture, then the tribulation, then Jesus comes back, then the kingdom. With the start of the kingdom, Jesus takes the beast and the false prophet and he casts them into the lake of fire. The other name for the lake of fire we always say is hell. That the, at the end of the thousand years, God takes Satan 
and then cast him into the lake of fire. Then, at what's known as the great white throne judgment, unbelievers are raised to stand before Jesus, and their names are not found written in the book of life, and they are cast into the lake of fire. We do not want people to be cast in the lake of fire. And that's why we have the privilege of telling people. That's why the 144,000 during the tribulation telling all the Jews. That's why the message is going out, and that's the plan. Well, so believers won't come into the, the judgment. In fact, for, for the judgment, it's comfort. it's comfort for the believers, but not judgment. Uh, and the, uh, uh, the believers will not come into judgment. They're secure. With that in mind, look at verse 13. This is how this, it says, I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. People get killed in the tribulation. Why? Yes, says the Spirit. So they may rest from their labors, for their deeds will follow them. Now, people who get killed in the tribulation, they've been running, you know, been standing for Christ, running for their lives. They're going to be rewarded, just like every one of us. If you live for Christ, you serve him, you try to do whatever he wants you to do, you're going to be rewarded. And, and believers will be rewarded for their service. Look at this right here. For we, all of us, must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed, that means rewarded, for the deeds done in this body. That's your works, your good works. According to what he has done, whether good or bad. The word bad doesn't mean like evil, it means worthless. So when you stand before Jesus Christ, you want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. These people who get killed in the tribulation, they're getting killed because they stood for Jesus Christ. They're going to hear him say, well done. What I hope and pray is for me and for you, when we stand before Jesus Christ, that we hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, because we can all stand before him one day. That's the plan. So it says their deeds follow after them. And so this morning we've seen this time of judgment comes. It's really called an eternal gospel, which has both judgment and rewards. There's the 144,000. They're sealed. They, nothing can touch them. We see that Babylon, it, they talks about Babylon fallen. And then he basically says, anybody that followed the beast and took the mark of the beast and worshiped the beast will be separated from God forever. So let me give you some applications. First one is this. Let's know that we are secure in Jesus Christ. We are. First John 5, 13, these things are written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. <clears throat> we are sealed, protected, and secure. We belong to Christ. If you're out there today and you say to yourself, I hope I'm saved. I'm not sure I'm saved. I hope I'm saved. I want to meet with you. I want you to understand that when you believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life, you are saved forever, and you should never go through your life hoping you should know that you have eternal life, and you should serve God out of love and not out of fear. So if you have any doubts, you call me. I'll get with you. We'll talk you through the passages, and I want to help you understand that you are safe and protected and secure in Jesus Christ. Second, let's realize there is victory in Jesus. No matter how bad things look, either now, in the future tribulation or now, the goal is to what? To fear him, to give him glory, and to worship him, to live for him. That's the plan. And then finally, let's understand that God holds all accountable 
both believers and unbelievers. Believers are accountable, rewards for service. And I've got this chart right here, and I want you to look at this. The best we can understand, and there's no way to know completely, but at the rapture, when we go up to be with Jesus while this seven years is going on, most people believe we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's when we get rewards. And so that's when believers there get rewards. Then we come back to the kingdom, kingdom for a thousand years. At the end of the thousand years, there's the great white throne judgment, and we believe best we can understand, unbelievers stand there, and their names are not found written in the book of life, and that's why they're cast into the lake of fire. So that's it. People are going to be accountable to God. And let me just throw this out. This is going to sound funny, but it's true. Nobody is accountable to God for their sins. Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for whose sins? Sins of the entire world, rose from the grave to conquer death. When we stand before Jesus Christ, it'll be for our works for our rewards. When unbelievers stand before Jesus Christ, it'll be for their works, their good things, not their sins. Sins have already been placed on Christ. The key for salvation is not sins or no sins. The key for salvation is faith in Christ. Whoever believes has eternal life. And their names are not, or their names are not found written in the book of life. That's why they're cast to the lake of fire.